0: Hello and welcome to Musikprod Podden. Today's episode is a bit of a special one. As regular listeners can already tell, I'm not speaking Swedish, and as you probably guess, it's because of today's guest. His name is Bruce Fielder, but he's also known as Superstar Artist and DJ Sigala. His music has been streamed a whopping 2.5% billion times. That is 2,500 million streams, earning him seven platinum award plaques on the wall in his studio. We are super happy that we finally found the time to sit down remotely and record this episode. So pour yourself some coffee and join us for the 95th episode of Musikprodpodden.
1: Oh, that's a nice, nice jingle. Hello, Bruce. Hello, mate. How are you doing? Good, man. This has been a long time coming, hasn't it? Yeah. Been talking I mean, about this for months. Years, I would say. Probably, yeah.
0: I think the first mention of you maybe joining us was when we were in Belgium some yeah. two and a half years ago. Yeah. Album one. Before Corona.
1: Before Corona as well, yeah.
0: Yeah. Actually, yeah. This, is, this has been quite good, like the Corona thing at least for for remote sessions. Yeah. I'd say like we've never
1: been as like daily working as now. I've n- I've never done a remote session before in my life. I d- yeah. I just I just didn't I never thought it could work as well as it actually does. But then we're not we're not like writing and trying to record vocals and things like that, which brings new problems trying to sync things together and, you know, have someone send you vocals to a track that may yeah. not be in time with anything.
0: Very much, so. and also had this happened like five years ago, probably latency and internet would have been way too slow. Yeah, it's quite good that it's it's actually happening 2020 and not like 2011. Um, we normally start our episodes off with some like cold hard facts uh, okay. to get things going, just like I ask quick questions and you reply with quick
1: replies. Mm-hmm. How old are you? Thirty. Where did you grow up? In Norfolk, England. (laughs) Where do you live now? In London, England.
0: Who's in your family?
1: Close family. I've got two brothers, um, lots of grandparents, fortunately, and a lovely mum and dad. What's your education? I went to college and university to study music in various ways. In various ways? What kind of music studies? The college course was a BTEC in music, which was quite general... Uh, but more leaning towards like music performance stuff, and then at university, I studied commercial music uh which was more about um crafting songwriting skills and and uh production and things like that. Did you enjoy it yeah i mean it was it was an incredible opportunity because it gave me the chance to move to london whereas I'd, i finished uh college and worked in a a second hand shop for about three years trying to save up money to to move out of Norwich and sort of focus on music and it was just impossible really so the university course offered me you know the chance to get a student loan and things and be able to yeah, afford yeah. to live in London while I was on the course and that was that was the game changer really because I was able to meet new people and you know that's where that's the central hub for music in the UK so it made such a big difference to actually be there
0: and also it's like a focused time A period of time where you can just focus on developing yourself because you don't, you have no like outside pressure to, to sustain an economic life.
1: Yeah, true. Like I would come home after work and try and, you know, do a bit of music and it would be very difficult um, after a day's work to, to, you know, be productive. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, at university I would, you know i'd skip classes to stay home and and write tunes with my friends that i'd made on the course and the education side was one thing but the main thing for me was was meeting people like-minded people yeah. and because that was something i was really lacking um in norfolk and being able to just speak to people about music and write with people from different backgrounds and genres and and really like broaden my sort of musical taste as well yeah do you have a hobby? A hobby? I've got, Outside yeah, I've of music. got a few, few hobbies. Yeah, I like to keep myself busy in my spare time. <laughs> I do a bit of, um, bit of rally driving. Um, me and John Newman and his brother James Newman, um, we all go up to Wales a few times a year and uh, drive cars around the forest. That's a solid hobby. That's probably my favourite hobby, but I don't do it very often, to be honest. But that's the one I look forward to the most and then i'm just i'm really into my computer games call of duty fortnite whatever's whatever's popular i mean it's it's actually been quite nice during quarantine because it's like i have a lot of friends and and especially people in music who um are really into gaming as well and it's it's a, it's actually a nice opportunity to socialize with with people
0: yeah
1: over like people that i probably wouldn't pick up the phone and call but you can have a laugh with while you're running around shooting <laughs> cutting down trees yeah exactly so yeah. that's been quite fun i've never played
0: to- like computer games or, or console games i'm a bit like envious of everyone who's like really into it
1: there's always hope for you yet yali <laughs> <laughs> all you have to do is buy a playstation and uh, the rest. i had of one. one but i sold it oh that's a shame
0: Um, who in the world would you consider being the best producer, music producer?
1: Um, wow. Okay. I, I never, I never really like, um, sort of followed music producers and, and that kind of thing. But growing up, somebody who was really influential on me was Labyrinth as a, as a producer. Um, just because what he was doing at the time that he started having success was different to everything that was out there at, the, at that moment. And it was just really exciting and you could hear that there was like actual musicality and, and it wasn't just luck making those tunes. Like <laughs> he's a very smart guy and he's continued to do really, really amazing work. Um, so he's probably somebody that really inspired me and, and through most of my teenage years was like my favorite producer.
0: He's great. And that kind of answers the question, who's the best producer in the UK
1: too? <laughs> Aside from me, obviously. <laughs> Aside from you. And who's your favourite Swedish producer? My favourite Swedish producer, um, it would have to be uh, my friend Yali. I don't know if you know him. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> He's very talented.
0: Um, what's one of your biggest music experiences?
1: The thing that I think really got me into music or gave me the sort of hunger for for making tunes was when I was in high school and I first downloaded um, Adobe Audition. That was like my first yeah. experience with a DAW. And I used to record people and take it home, like record people, like I don't know, just talking into my phone and take it home and remix it and bring it into school. And and uh, and people would have <laughs> oh, wow. it as their ringtones, and I'd be walk around school and I'd hear like some weird remix I did (laughs) on someone's phone going off in the corner. Um, And that was really like, I used to really be excited to to like go home and make some probably terrible track and bring it in the next day and all my friends would be really excited. And that was when I first really got excited about making music and realized that maybe I'm actually, maybe I have... No, a talent here,
0: and it also highlights the time where uh, ringtones. Yeah, were man,
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's it's been it has, a long time think, since. I don't think that would happen anymore.
0: But um I don't think I've heard a different ringtone from anyone than the standard in like in years.
1: Yeah, it's like a part of your personality.
0: Yeah, I had Britney Spears toxic for a
1: while. <laughs> <laughs> I just have my really phone nice. on silent pretty much twenty four seven, so yeah. I don't even have a ringtone really.
0: No, I have the standard Apple one, yeah. but normally it's it's just silent. Uh, how old were you when you first got paid for
1: something in music?: I think I was probably about 10 or eleven. i I'd been having like keyboard lessons for a couple of years since I was like eight or nine, and as um, oh, so not piano lessons?: No it was yeah, it was like keyboard, so you'd just like play a chord in the left hand with the accompaniment, and it would just like play the drums and the bass line and stuff. And then you just play the melody in the right hand, which is why my left hand is terrible because it's never really done anything more than like triads. But <laughs> uh, yeah, once I'd like learned a few songs, my mum started to get me gigs at like uh, care homes for, oh, really? for old people. So I used to go around to these care homes and uh, bring my like amplifier and two speakers and my keyboard. And um, I used to sit there and play for about an hour for these. For these uh, old folk, and then very
0: cute with a twelve-year-old playing, playing. I know, the keyboard. yeah.
1: And I earned, I earned some good money from it. I used to go around at the end of the like end of the hour, and I'd go around and shake everyone's hand, and they'd do the thing where they'd put like like two pounds in their hand and shake it, in and then so I, oh. I'd I'd leave with probably 20, 25 pounds, which is a lot of money for you know, like 12 year old Bruce. Oh yeah. I wish I had some footage of it. It would be amazing to see it.
0: So you started, like you downloaded Adobe Audition and started making like fancy ringtones for your friends. Yeah. Was that like the moment where you realized like, um, this is,
1: this um, is my life? Like I've always been really into music in various ways, like I've always wanted to be in bands when I was a kid as well. Uh, And I joined my first band when I was 14 and that was incredible. And suddenly I, you know, I wanted to be in a rock band and I wanted to be the next Metallica. That was the, that was the dream for a good few years. Um, and the, the production side sort of fed into that a little bit, um, because we'd never have enough money to, to record in a proper studio. So, um i would be able to just about you know get everyone in my shed and record guitars and squeeze a drum kit in and you know <laughs> record the drums with with like one microphone and uh old school stuff so. yeah i suppose that sort of really got me into recording and and showed that i could do it because i felt like that ended up being the thing that I enjoyed more than actually being in the band, like I'd be looking forward to like writing a new song and recording it, rather than you know getting on the the bus to London and doing a show. Oh wow! But it was it was still a few years before I realised that that was what I wanted to do because I just I didn't really have any gauge of am I good at this or am I good at this thing, and that didn't come. I, I went all the way through college still thinking that I wanted to be the next Led Zeppelin keyboard player There's still time still yeah <laughs> still time to choose um but yeah like i went back and forth from oh, i want to be a session player to i want to be a, a producer or whatever um in the end it came down to what i enjoyed doing the most and that was making music um in small dark rooms it's quite fascinating when you when you think about it like looking
0: back at things, they always look like a straight line and mm. everything like this led to that and that yeah. led to that. But in the middle of it, you have no idea where where it's taking you.
1: Yeah, there's, there's definitely been some poignant moments where I can look back and say, you know, without this person in my life at this point, then this wouldn't have happened and et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, you just never know. You just got to work hard, man, and and put that hours in. and I, And I feel like I definitely, you know, I barely had any social life when I moved to London because I was when I wasn't in lectures, I was at, at home when all my classmates were partying or whatever. I was in in my bedroom making beats, yeah, trying to make music.
0: And it's funny you. We're we're gonna come back to that later, but now you can be that person for other people, the person that like oh that's a game changer for someone else's life.
1: Yeah. I think that's an amazing, amazing thing as well. And, and I often go out of my way to try and be that person to, to other people because I have people on my journey who, who without them, you know, wouldn't have gotten to where I am now. Um, I'm, I'm really like keen to do that for other people. Um, I started a publishing company and, you know, I'm working with like up and coming songwriters and it's incredible to see the amount of talent out there that is, you know, not being recognized and not being able to make a living when they're just as talented as the people who are making a living. Yeah. Um, They just haven't been given the right opportunities. It's definitely about personality as well. Like I want to be surrounded by good, honest people who, you know, bring something positive to to what's going on yeah. and um, I feel like that's you know that's something that's really important to me Anyway,
0: we mentioned that a couple of times in this, uh, in this podcast like those people who make a difference it can be a teacher it can be when you go to like your after school activities someone is just seeing you and like dude you're good at this you should pursue this Yeah, and yeah. that small encouragement can just be the final like nail in the coffin of like okay this is what I'm going to do yeah, and then ten absolutely. years later, that's like a natural fact that I'm doing this for a living.
1: Yeah, you're right. It's it's like it only really takes one of those one of those moments to change somebody's life. And also, I think it's quite important for you know if there's people listening who are, who are just sort of starting out there, uh, their journey in in music. Like, just wait for those moments. Like, don't give up. Um, because they'll will, they will come as long as you keep working hard. It takes longer for some people than others. It's it, it's completely random really. Like it, <laughs> it there's def, there's a definite amount of luck involved um in in success as long as you can back, you know, when you get those lucky opportunities as long as you're prepared and you can back it up yeah. with with the, your skills or, you know, your talents um then that's when the magic happens really.
0: But like moving from from being in a rock band to university, how did you get into like the electronic music? Uh,
1: I think just music just started to change. Really, uh, what was in the charts changed, and what what my friends was started listening to changed. Because when I was growing up, it was all bands. It was all you know, Nirvana, yeah, rock bands, metal bands. Um, they were the big thing, and then. In my sort of teenage years, when I when I started college, it was in the UK. Especially, it was uh, like drum and bass, Pendulum, Sub Focus, Prodigy. Those like I don't know, they were amazing, man. <laughs> those, yeah. uh, some of them made it over to Sweden. A lot of them didn't. Yeah, especially it like was just so bass. it was just so exciting to hear that music because I, I hadn't heard anything like it. Like the closest thing I'd heard was like. Jean-Michel Jar or something. <laughs> yeah. And uh and then Classic these, Dad record. Yeah. <laughs> and then these guys came with this like crazy high energy music, which was like it was a very similar emotion that I got from listening to to rock or metal yeah. just in a different sort of dressed in a different way. Um so that was really exciting. And then and then like because I was listening to that kind of music, I was like, I want to make that kind of music, and I used to spend my time trying to remake, you know, sounds that I'd heard and things like that and doing a very bad job at it, but (laughs) learning a little bit every time.
0: So you finished university and then you started working on just making music for yourself or did you do music for
1: others? Um, During university I I had a thing where I basically would, I, I would say yes to any opportunity for pretty much most of university, no matter how weird or if i didn't actually want to do it i made like a rule with myself <laughs> that you know i'm here to make music and i'm here to to learn so any You're opportunity that comes yes. yeah like i became a real yes man <laughs> um so any opportunity that arose or i would always offer to work with people even if i wasn't into their music or, or or it was very different to what i was doing yeah um i worked with a lot of uh rappers who just happened to be on the course which is something I hadn't done before. Like I hadn't made like beats. Mm. I'd just I'd just written songs. So that was like another thing that was totally new, but really exciting at the same time. Did you already go by the name of Sigala back then? Yeah, I had a duo called Sid and Sigala. Sid was my duo partner. Mm. Um, it was kind of like a band slash duo. We did a few gigs and we moved to London to do the course together initially. Um, which was quite nice to be able to move with somebody and to know somebody. And yeah, we we would like make music together, but then we'd also make music separately, which was quite important to me because I wanted to do lots of things.
0: Yeah. Where does the name Segala come from?
1: Um, it's an old family name from my great grandfather, Amos. Amos Sigala, it who's Italian. That's
0: a strong name. <laughs> yeah.
1: I'd, ne- I'd never Cigala. heard it before, the name Sigala. So, when did I hear it? Oh yeah, my mum told me this story about him and I can't remember how it goes, but I just like the name <laughs> the only thing I remember was the name. And uh, and when I was t- having to choose a band name, um, it was my mum that suggested it. She was like, I remember that story I told you. Oh a- wow. Amos Sagala. You should use that. And... Uh, and I did, so thanks, mum. It's
0: nice to have a like family affair Yeah, Mo- moving on, and now that name is is forever embedded into your life. Yeah,
1: it's nice, man. Amos Segala lives on. Very nice. I think he would be proud, probably. I've got a picture of him just over in my room over there. Oh, yeah. Um, in black and white.
0: We're, we're <laughs> doing this interview over Zoom and audio movers, so we can see each other.
1: In our... Separate studio, yeah, or makeshift studio in my case. You, ha- you have what you need, like a big screen,
0: a computer, a MIDI keyboard, and that's about it.
1: I feel like I've gone back about 10 years <laughs> yeah. to, to making music in my bedroom again, and it's actually quite nice, man. I like it, although it's so hot in here today, <laughs> I'm just sweating. <laughs> yeah, like I, I don't really need too much to, to get the job done. I've literally got a MIDI keyboard, my Mac, a couple of speakers, which I'm not even using, I'm just using headphones.
0: Yeah, these Zoom sessions have a tendency to, like, that's the only way to do them, Yeah, with headphones. So I had yeah. to buy a pair of ones that didn't hurt my ears.
1: Your first single as Sigala was Easy Love. Uh, how did that come, come about? At that point, I'd been making music for about three or four years for other people. Yeah. Um, I decided that music production was the thing I wanted to do. And I'd met a few songwriters and the guys at Talyard, who, who are now my management. Um, they also have their publishing company, Talyard Publishing. And uh, and I, I was introduced to them. and And loads of studios. Yeah, that was definitely one of the things that drew me to them as well, because I was stuck in my bedroom and had been, you know, since my early teens. And I was really keen to get out of my bedroom and start treating it more like a real job and being able to go somewhere and, and be creative and then come home uh, and relax afterwards, so meeting them was a big was a big turning point for me because they they had so many people that I was able to work with so um, I really enjoyed doing that, writing music to briefs and um, pitching songs to artists uh, and I hadn't really thought about doing my own project. For a long time, I'd kind of given up on the dream of being, you know, on the stage uh, or being a DJ or being in a rock band or whatever the dream was at the time. Yeah. Um, so I was just focusing on trying to make a living, really, and it was really tough, man, for for a lot of years trying to be recognised and trying to get my first cut. Really, and it took three or four years of making songs before I was able to actually start paying my bills. And being able to afford to live, I was living on the the government unemployed benefit scheme. Oh, really? Because I really believed that I could eventually make a living out of it, um, and I didn't really have any funds from anywhere else, so that was my only option, really. Um, which was not a great way to live, but <laughs> it was fine. Like I, you know, I spend most of my time at the studio and that was the most important thing really. And I was able to pay my rent, um, which was probably the cheapest rent, uh, that I've ever heard of in London. I was paying 250 pounds oh, wow. a month, um, <laughs> in this uh, like flat that was basically falling down from the inside out. Um, but still it's a flat. Yeah, it was amazing. And I, I had a decent sized room and I, I was able to sort of make music at home and then go to the studio as well. Um, But yeah, so I did that for a few years, and and uh, kind of struggled to make any money. Um, I had a few little bits here and there from like a production job, but that mostly came through like friends that I'd met at university who were working with people. Um, They were, you know, little stepping stones that I could see that I was, you know, slowly making my way towards the goal of of being able to make a living, and it got it got kind of, it got really tough to be inspired um, to make music for other people. So there was a period when I um, wasn't really enjoying making the music I I was making because I felt like I wasn't doing it for the right reasons. I was just doing it, trying. I was so adamant that I wanted to be to be able to make money from music that I realized that I wasn't really making the music that I wanted to make. That like you and wanted to do. I wasn't really making good music, I thought, because I, my heart wasn't in it. And I was just reading a brief, making a tune, sending it off, and then just never hearing back from anything as well, which was really <laughs> tough. So um, That's so like
0: I, a, general, a general thing in, in, in this industry. Yeah, so absolutely. Never hearing back is one of the most frustrating things out there. You put even even if it's like something you don't
1: love, but you've put your heart in, into it for Yeah. Like, a lot of hours. So much time and effort. Yeah, that was tough, man. And so I kind of reached the point where I wasn't like ready to just give up, but it had dawned on me that, you know, I wasn't living a very a very good life because I, I never had any money and I was starting to become unhappy because I couldn't really even afford to eat the food that i wanted to eat or go out or socialize or 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 i you know i bought a motorcycle on gumtree and it it broke down and and then i tried to sell my my laptop to to buy a new motorbike and somebody gave me fake money again on (laughs) gumtree and uh and there was just a lot of a lot of like really horrible things happened
0: oh i remember you telling me that story that's so horrible
1: Yeah, so I had a like had a succession of of bad luck um which led me to just say okay I'm I'm going to just put this on hold for a minute and just make some only make music if I really feel inspired. So yeah. I so I spent it, it happened very quickly. I spent like a couple of weeks um just chilling and sort of like trying to think about what I wanted to do next and it was one of my managers that suggested that i should just go home and and you know just make some music for me you know open up pro tools if i if i feel like it and see what comes out without a brief yeah um or anything like that and my friend had given me a bunch of a cappellas of like old motown songs and i don't know like just, like just like 60s bands and stuff and it was really incredible to go through these it was like Queen and Jimi Hendrix records and stuff in there. I don't know how he got them, but I was really happy to to have them. So um, I was just sort of like scrolling. Like the
0: studio acapellas?
1: Um, it was actually the full multi-tracks for these. Oh, wow. For, for a load of these songs, which was really cool to be able to go in, like solo the guitars on like Bohemian Rhapsody or something like that. So I was just messing around with them and I came across the... Uh, the Jackson 5, and there was um, a couple, I think, in that folder. And I just brought up the um, ABC acapella and just slung it into Pro Tools and, and um, tried to sync it to some BPM because it was kind of all yeah. over the place. And then I just started playing some piano chords to it because I couldn't really remember how the original went when I when I was just listening to this <laughs> acapella. I was just listening to it as, um, as like somebody would send me a top line, yeah. And so I just started playing some sort of random chords, and, and those, the first chords I played ended up being the ones that were, um, on on the track. Um, that that was such a fun experience because that was the first time in quite a long time that I just sat down and just made something just for fun. And I wasn't thinking, you know, oh, what's so-and-so person going to think about this or who am I going to pitch it to or, or any of that? I was like, I'm not even going to send this to anyone.
0: This is just purely for en- your enjoyment and in the moment.
1: Yeah, and I had a couple of beers and... Um, I was up till about five AM, I think, just like dancing around my room and 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 producing up this um, this remix, and it was it was loads of fun, yeah. And I think that was a real turning point because that was the first time I'd really had fun in quite a while making music, which, is, which sounds really depressing now that I say <laughs> it, um, but it's the truth. And and that taught me a really valuable lesson that because um, that that song ended up being my first single and I ended up being signed to, to Ministry of Sound off the back of that song. Um and I'm still signed to them and and it's led to all the things that have followed. Yeah. Um and that was that was a real poignant moment where I changed my attitude and changed the reason that that I was making music. And that's something that I always try and keep in the back of my head every time I make a song or every time I'm working on something. Am I having fun and am I enjoying this and And because most of the times when the the answer is yes, the song comes out so much better and so much, so much truer. And you can really hear, you know, that somebody's had fun making, making a tune.
0: Yeah. Um, Like Easy Love is going in the background now and, and you can tell that you were happy making it. Like you felt something. It has like so much energy in it. Yeah, man. It's cool. And we've been stuck there a bunch of times working together too just getting lost in why are we doing this? And then suddenly a feeling opens up and like, okay, this is actually really fun. Do you like this? And then you get goosebumps and then the hype
1: comes in and then suddenly it turns into something that you actually want to listen to. (laughs) (laughs) It it literally only takes one thing as well. It might be a sound or like a little sample or, or some little magic moment where things suddenly go, okay, this is exciting. And then everything grows from that and you delete everything else and go, okay, this is this is the cool, exciting element. And let's build everything around that. Yeah. Um, and those moments, I don't know. I live for those moments, man. It's so it's like so exciting when you find that thing that you you really love, and maybe no one else will love it, but it doesn't matter, man. As long as. You know, as long as people like some of the stuff you're doing, then you're okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, as long as, you can, uh, as long as you can have fun doing it, then that's, that's really important, I think.
0: So do you have any like uh, strategies to come to that? Like if, if you're stuck on something, how do you approach trying to get into that zone of, of establishing a feeling <clears> that you want to build something on?
1: there's a very fine line of of like sticking with something or just doing it and doing it to death and and losing all inspiration over it um yeah. like if i if i'm not feeling really inspired whilst i'm sat at my computer trying to make something and it's not going anywhere you know i'll try i'll try a lot of different avenues and try and get something because like we said earlier it only takes that one little thing to suddenly flip it like we we yeah. were having a session, um, me and you yesterday, and I was I was scrolling through kick drums for I think ten or fifteen minutes while <laughs> while you were just working away, and I could see you really getting into it, and I was like, "Where is the perfect kick drum? It doesn't exist," <laughs> and I was really getting quite angry at the computer um, because I I was just really struggling to to get anything. And then you know, fast forward five or ten minutes, and I'd found a cool piano sound, and and I'd changed the chords that we were working with a little bit, and and then suddenly it sparked yeah. some inspiration, and then I was off. Like we barely said a word for about half an hour. We were both just sort of like vibing on our own in our own sessions. You know, th- those moments might come or they might not, and it's. I think it's more important how you look back on those 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 times that, that that don't work out and and not see it as a waste of time and just see it as like part of the journey towards finishing that song and coming but yeah. and then come back to it with um with fresh ears and I also try and not over listen to my own stuff as well, which we're probably all quite guilty of at, at some at some points. Um, when you're excited about something and you have it on repeat for an hour before you go to bed or, you know you listen to it all day because you're like, "Oh, this is sick," which is really nice, and and that's really important to to have those moments. But at the same time, for me, um, I feel like it makes me less objective about a certain. Voted what did I? Yeah, is, whether yeah. it's like a mix thing or a production th- thing or it's a song, because you end up just getting used to it, and um, I always, I'm always like trying to find that initial first listen feeling which is really difficult because you work on a song for however long you know a week a month a year however long it takes to finish and by the end of it you know it's hard to get the feeling when you listen to it that you had when you first made the demo or or whatever Um, because yeah like I say like I've gotten to the end of making songs a lot of times and thought oh my god is this really any good anymore? But then I have to remind myself, like it's essentially what I had at the beginning. Just
0: got you super excited. Yeah.
1: So, so I just have to assume that it's going to make other people super excited because it's, it is the same tune. It's just slightly better now.
0: Yeah. But, but I think I think we you can also listen to your music in different settings. Like we've done that when we've been to different studios, like in the car back. Yeah.
1: You listen to it completely differently.
0: It's not listening with your eyes, because I tend to do that. I look at the logic yeah, session man. or the brutal session and just seeing what's gonna happen completely changes how I listen yeah. to what's going on. Yeah. It's like closing your eyes and listening to an arrangement is quite a different thing. Yeah.
1: But I think that's why I really enjoy working with you. And I think having two people um, work on a song is really beneficial because you can take a step back from the computer. You know, we pa- yeah. we we pass files to and from each other constantly and, and I'll have an idea and, and I'll do it and then send you some stuff and you'll do it. And that has been like a really great way of working because you're able to temporarily step away from the song and listen to someone else work on it and then new ideas spark out because you're not just looking into a screen
0: i trust that whatever decision you make whenever you make it is because you believe it will lead to something Mm. and letting someone finish their like so to speak thought and like okay this sounds like shit now but i'm going to I'm going to turn it into what I believe is the right way to to go about this, and none of us has ever said like stop that; it's bad.
1: No, absolutely not, because we understand that sometimes you have to go through. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't. (laughs) It doesn't make any (laughs) sense to anyone except the person who's making it, because they can see the goal at the end. Yeah, I mean that goes for anyone who's done a done a uh, a songwriting session as well. Like it can be quite daunting making a beat with with some songwriters sat behind you because it doesn't necessarily always come out great the first time the, the first chords no. you play are probably not the ones that end up being the ones you work with or you know things you throw a sample in and it's out of time and maybe it's a car crash for for an hour until you get something good and like I really struggled with that because I'd never really worked with other people I'd worked so much on my own and in my own space with my headphones not letting anyone else hear anything until I thought it was done to them being thrown into a room where people sit and watch you do that process and And
0: wait for you to play something (laughs) good enough for them to vibe on (laughs) yeah
1: um and whether the answer is just using headphones for a little bit until you're comfortable to play it or whether it's just finding the confidence to to be able to make those mistakes in front of People, whether they're your, your people you know or or people you've just met and you you you've just started to work with, um, yeah, that's definitely that's definitely a learning curve. I think it's really important to be able to be comfortable enough to to sort of make those mistakes or to you know focus on what is actually important at that time, which is maybe not necessarily how you're EQing the kick if you're writing if you're writing a song with somebody um but that that i think that's just something that comes with comes with time and with confidence and experience yeah because now like i will just play a few chords on the piano sling a loop in and then yeah. and then i'm as long as the chords are working and and people are feeling them then i'm like okay how do we get the best out of the out of this song and how How do I get the best out of these songwriters? And I feel like a producer has a certain amount of responsibility to not only make a beat or something that people can write to, but also give the writers what they need, whether it's attention to what they're doing and being able to encourage them or offer different ideas and things like that. It's a really important and tough role in the studio, it's yeah. something that takes a long time to learn, and is uh, and I think
0: that's something that you are very good at. Thanks. So. Uh, being critical of like the song as an entity, mm. it's like is this the best this can be? Yeah. And even if you put like ninety-five days onto it, if the answer is no, you will go back and redo it. Yeah. And that's a quality that very few people have.
1: It's a blessing and a curse.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's one of the reasons like version 46 of a song is the one that gets released.
1: 146, I think you mean. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the highest version that you've released? There, there's definitely been ones in the... Here, I can look right here. It's all in my iTunes. <laughs> oh yeah, Lullaby wasn't too bad. What was it? Like 60-something? Um. Yeah, 60 all oh, came here for love. 100... Hundred and five, that was the final version. Oh, wow. Um that's quite a lot. But that's that's maybe why there's there are so many versions of, of everything we do. Um like I I wanna feel like I've explored every possible avenue of making a production and especially when it's a song that I've been sent that, you know, has, has no production, I wanna make sure that it's the best possible thing that it can be. Um, and maybe changing the chords 10 times will answer that. But that's when it, that's when the, like, not listening to your own stuff comes in quite important. It's almost a scientific, very creative method. It's like,
0: let's be as creative as I can in as many directions as possible and then make an educated guess which one's the best. And then
1: it comes to partly deciding based on feeling and then partly deciding based on more boring things. Like, is this the right sound for me as an artist or is this, does this sound dated or does this sound fresh? Uh, or does it sound like something else that's already out there and is that a bad thing? Um, there's definitely like two parts to that, that process as well. A
0: big factor for for you as an artist, I remember like I think it was a year ago when when we listened to some things and you're like it just dawned upon you in that moment like I have a sound
1: yeah I yeah. made
0: I made a sound and it's my sound yeah and and it belongs to you, you if someone else makes a song that sounds like that everyone's going to say that sounds like Sigala mm. and that's quite a cool accomplishment
1: that was a very long process and I spent years and years thinking what you know what is the new sound or what is the next what is the next thing or how can i be different or you know i want to make something that that is fresh and when it actually came down to it i didn't think about it at all and it was just completely organic and then <laughs> and then i didn't even know that it was my sound when i'd made the song because i didn't even i only sent it to one person like we literally sat down the other day and tried to analyze what makes a Cigala record just so that we could continue to make them. Um, (laughs) And that was really, that was really interesting and also quite fun thing to do and to discover there's a certain amount that's probably not possible to put into words because it's just like, this is how I play a certain chord or these are the, these are my tastes and these are the things that I like. Um, But then, but then there's things that you can hear like, okay he likes snaps in the verse or <laughs> like something <laughs> something like that um or certain signs that that um that i use a lot or that i like yeah um but yeah it was very interesting doing that and it's quite nice to sometimes at least i think that have like a
0: forum to thinking about something yeah why are we doing this and where are we going it doesn't have to be like a super like tight box. It can be like, okay, we want this kind of emotion yeah. and these kind of sounds mm. with that kind of arrangement.
1: But there's a, there's always very much like a certain amount is just based on taste and and what I think it's the same for anyone. Like what thing excites you when you turn on your computer and yeah. which plugin has has the fresh sounds or maybe it's not even a new plugin. Maybe it's something that's been around for ages, but you've never used. Speaking of
0: plugins, this is quite a technical, uh, podcast. Yeah, I know. We haven't mentioned you're in croutles that we already know that. Yes. Which is quite different from, from most electronic dance acts. Yeah. I reckon.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, I I've just kind of stuck with it and it's something that I'm really used to and I've used for many years now. So I feel really comfortable. I think maybe I just got lucky that I found uh, a, you know, a piece of software that actually fits my workflow really well. Um, having a million playlists for each track is really useful because uh, I usually have a million different ideas and then they have to go <laughs> yeah, through them all.
0: That is one of the best features of, of Pro Tools, I would say. Yeah. Like that playlist thing is, is no one matches it. Yeah.
1: It's really good.
0: But what, uh, what, what are your favorite plugins? Plugins Like your go-to ones? I'm
1: probably not the best guy to talk to about plugins. Um, as you know, from working with me, I, I kind of stick to what I know to a certain degree. If I can't, if I can't get, if we're talking about like soft sense, yeah. if I can't get something out of it quickly, then I get bored and I, I just bring up one of the ones that I'm quite used to. Yeah. Um, which is things like uh, Spire, Serum, uh, VPS, Avenger. Um, I love the new um, Arteria uh, Analog, what's it called? Analog Lab. Yeah. Yeah, those those plugins are are incredible and also very much sort of where my taste is at the moment with those like retro synth sounds. Um, that's, they do
0: sound amazing.
1: Yeah, they sound awesome. But then there's like the Serum Spire VPS. They're they're ones I go back to because they're very quick to get something out of the box. Which and they're is, quite
0: polished from the start.
1: Normally, yeah. There's a lot of like dialing back reverb. When you open a patch, which is something probably a lot of people know about those plugins if they have them, yeah. Um, but yeah, man, they're, they're like as far as synths go, they're ones I've been using for a long time. Uh, I started off using a lot of Massive because that was like the thing to do, um, especially when dubstep was such a massive genre. <laughs> oh yeah, um, but I I don't really use that much anymore. Um, I love all the Sound Toys. Stuff is really great. Alterboy, I use on loads of stuff, not just vocals. I use on synths and um, yeah, it does
0: really weird things on some sounds and it makes them feel very like flaky in a way. Yeah,
1: bad in a good way. (laughs) Bad in a good way. Yeah, which is probably leads me on nicely to what I think is probably my favorite plugin. Oh yeah, which which we use on most tracks in <laughs> yeah. a session, which is the uh, RC20 Retro from retro Excellent
0: camera. Audio, which uh, we actually did an episode with them. Uh, oh cool, in Swedish though. Uh, so yeah. for you international listeners, I'm sorry.
1: Oh my god, that plugin is is amazing. To just I don't know, make it just makes sounds come to life a little bit more. It makes things sound more human. Being yeah, a very, a have, very like,
0: sterile sound can can suddenly get. A real sounding quality,
1: yeah, which is really important for for me because I always try and have like a certain amount of organic sounds, whether they're like real instruments or things that sort of sound like they're they've been recorded or or whatever. And, yeah, like I've I've just made my own preset on it, which I like I, even when I'm scrolling through, you know, presets in a in a soft synth. Yeah, I'll have RC twenty after it just because I know it makes things sound a little bit better. <laughs> it's going
0: to be there anyway,
1: um, and it's uh, it's just so nice to with the stuff I do. Like if I'm like look, looking for like a verse sound, and and I know it's going to be, you know, it's going to be quite a narrow frequency range because the, the vocal needs to go on top, and I can just make it sound really mid rangey. And I know that that's what I'm going to do after I make this sound anyway. Yeah, so I just put it on there first. Um, I like simple plugins. If I open up a plugin and like I'm probably definitely a a preset guy, which is probably frowned upon by some of the more hardcore um music makers out there. But um I will scroll through presets for ages until I get like some sort of inspiration. But then once I find that inspiration, um I want to be able to really quickly Turn it into the sound that I that I think it should be. Yeah. So plugins that it's really difficult to to just change the cutoff on something, or change the, the the attack on the on the filter or whatever. It's really annoying not to be able to do that easily. So the 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 soft synths that I use are all quite like they have the obvious functions right there on the front yeah. for vocals. Vocals. I use a lot of the waves stuff. I've got I bought the Waves package um and I use most of their plugins like CLA 3A is my go-to compressor if I want to you know compress something a little bit it still have some nice attack. Yeah. I use that a lot. Um the CLA Vocals uh plugin I use just for a very quick, you know, for writing sessions or or if you want to get a quick good sounding vocal. Yeah. you want to you want to just be able to process it like like a sort of semi finished vocal would sound so i use uh i use that a lot that's probably one that i will end up replacing it somewhere in the process along the way um they're really great i love the fab filter stuff oh, yeah. um the pro q is like or the uh, pro q3 i think it is now that's my go to eq for literally everything um
0: it's like a Swiss army knife of everything.
1: Yeah, and being able to do mid mid side uh EQing and also dynamic EQing as well and um the you, fact that you it use it for really,
0: filter sweeps too.
1: Yeah, which is probably a bit overkill. There's probably plugins that are a lot more simple to do that but Sometimes I'll have like even five instances of Pro-Q on (laughs) on a track all doing different things. It's
0: like, can you just change this? And you're like, I don't (laughs) know which which of them does that. Let's add another one.
1: (laughs) It's great for um, for notching um, frequencies as well. If you're, you know, working with a guitar or piano or, or, you know, most live instruments or some synths that have like overtones and things like that. Yeah, Um, it's really great for being able to get rid of those. As long as you have good enough ear to pick out where they are. Um, Obviously, there's plugins like Soothe and stuff that can do it for you, Uh, but I feel like they end up just doing way too much. So it's it's yeah,
0: Soothe is easy to overuse and just kill a sound completely. Because when you solo it, it's like yeah, that's the one I want to get rid of. And then when you put it back in the mix, it's like okay, now it's gone. Uh, I got rid of the overtones and the tones. Um <laughs> and in your studio, which you're not in at the moment, mm-hmm.
1: what do you have there? Uh it's quite basic in terms of equipment. I I have a Mac Pro dustbin. I don't actually yep. know what it's called, but the, the you know the circle. It is what it's called. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh and I've got my main monitors are the uh, Adam A77Xs. They are the first proper monitors that I ever owned, and I still use them. Um, I think I've had them nearly 10 years now. Yeah. Well, yeah, the same set. They do sound great. They sound amazing. I love the ribbon tweeters. I feel like I might at some point go up to the the, the S range or whatever it is, the next, the next level up. Yeah. Um, but the ones I have, for the time being, are fine. My studio needs some serious... Acoustic um, treatment, anyway. So I feel like if I buy, you know, spend a lot of money on monitors, I'm probably wasting my time.
0: It's going to be um, one of those things where you have to do them both at the same time.
1: Yeah, and and uh, just design the room sort of around the monitors.
0: I mean, your your room is really good though, uh, but there's always room for improvement.
1: Yeah, it's a uh, it's a it's a really nice space. Like it's a big space. Uh, like I say, like I don't really have any. Um, much equipment, anyway. I've got like a little bit of outboard. I've I've got the Neve preamp. Yeah, uh, that's pretty much it, really. Yeah, I'm not re- really like a microphone guy. Like I've never really been that into microphones, which will probably offend some people because I know people <laughs> love microphones. I've just been a bit lazy in, in that regard in terms of I like rather than fixing the input signal, I'll usually just fix it later down the line. And maybe that's the wrong approach, but that's just always how I've been. It's kind Um, of the
0: same approach as with filters. Like if it gets the job done, why change it? Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. There are
0: good things about like getting a better microphone, but you already
1: have a really good one. So you cannot really improve that. I had the um, 87. 87, I think it was. Yeah. For a long time, just because I heard that that was sort of the mic to buy and I, I felt like I needed a new microphone. So I just assumed it was going to be great. I I had that for a couple of years and it definitely did the job and it's on a lot of songs that I've released. Um But then I recently got recommended the, the manly reference by quite a few people and it's been incredible. Yeah. It's like, it's a reasonably expensive mic, but in terms of microphones, it's absolutely does the job and more um it's incredible like it just gives you it just records i i don't know the best way of <laughs> explaining it but it just i feel like it records everything and then it's just your decision what you want to keep do you know yeah. what i mean like it has really crispy highs you get all that high end information and if you want to boost it or lose it it's up to you and then the same with the lows it's like it's you get everything which is exactly what I want in a microphone, because then that goes back to me being lazy. I can just point it at something, hit record, and then worry about what I'm doing with that signal later. Yeah, um, and, and
0: basically uh, you have two mics in your studio. It's that one and an SM7 for just and this vibing. One,
1: yeah, the one you're talking in right now. This one I've had for a long time, and it's I think it's probably on a few records as well. There's definitely songs that I've recorded demos on where you process the vocal so much that we end up just keeping it because it sounds great. But yeah, it's a really handy mic to have in the studio. And, you know, I've had this one a long time and it's been dropped about a million times and it's still absolutely fine. Oh, I've got some NS-10s as well. Oh yeah, you do. That's important. We both love those, don't we? yeah um, you pair them with the sub, and they sound even better yeah they're amazing. I feel like they're really actually great to create initial ideas on as well because you're not overly critical of sonics and you're more just listening to sort of the the vibe or whatever of 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 what you're making yeah um which is really and it's really interesting doing that. And because we've done that and had the option to do, to use two different speakers, and we've played around with with ideas on you know the big expensive Adams or whatever they are, and then switched over to the and then really struggled to to you know we're just scrolling through sounds and things and everything's like oh I'm not sure I'm not sure and then we put it on the NS tens and and suddenly some magic starts happening because we're not thinking about the Sonics anymore or the you know that, that end of things. And we're just thinking about how it feels. Yeah. Um, which is, which is really nice to have that option. Uh, and also I have my Sonos. Um, what is it called? Big one. The five one. Yeah.
0: I think it's called Sonos play five.
1: Yeah. I think that's right. Play five. The big one. Yeah. Which I have in my studio and I have one at home as well. So I can like, reference things
0: they are and impressive it, for being like a yeah, consumer they speaker awesome. they sound really good
1: <laughs> maybe it doesn't sound 100% correct but Sonus somehow manages to make things sound great but yeah that's pretty much in terms of um outboard and, and equipment Um the only other main thing in my in my studio is the piano oh yeah um which is, like, probably one of the most important things in the room because that's usually where where I'll start when it comes to songwriting. Yeah, that's where most of the ideas come from. Yeah, it's just like a Yamaha upright. Um,
0: yeah, I, I um, remember you telling me the story about you playing every <laughs> piano <laughs> in the store.
1: Yeah, so it's a second-hand <laughs> piano. And, yeah, I went to this piano warehouse and played literally this this is how my brain works. This goes back to the <laughs> hundred versions of came here for love. played every single piano in the shop at least once and then kept a record of which ones I liked and then narrowed it down and down and down <laughs> until I was literally jumping from one. I narrowed it down to two and they happened to be opposite each other, so I was like playing playing like some chords and then jumping over on the other seat and playing the exact same thing. And then just trying to work out which one sounded best for what I That's needed. That's a madman in action. And the woman was stood there just <laughs> thinking, is this guy actually going <laughs> to buy anything or <laughs> is he wasting my time? Um, but yeah, I love that piano so much. Yeah. And I sounds, will keep it, it sounds for a long
0: great. time. Yeah. Uh, we're soon going to go uh, leave the podcast and start working. But, yes. um I wanted to ask you, looking to the future, where do you think... First you and then like pop dance music in general will be in like
1: five, 10 years. Um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a wizard, unfortunately. (laughs) Well, I hope electronic music is still a very big part of commercial music. And I feel like it's only getting stronger and stronger over the past, you know, well, as long as I've been alive anyway. Yeah. Um and especially at the moment so much great dance music um and electronic music out there are having massive success as well. Um so that's one thing that I hope continues because obviously I'm not going to have a job if it doesn't. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean I'll find something to do. But yeah, like it's really uh, it's really exciting and interesting watching music change as well and and hearing a song on the radio or, or even before it gets to the radio or it gets success, hearing something that comes with something really fresh and it ends up sort of moulding the, the direction of, of where music goes and where, especially pop music, because pop music is very much like feeds on itself and yeah. fe- feeds on the success of whatever genre is, is popular or whatever sound is popular. Um Tracks like Lean On, when that came out, um, suddenly, you know, that that song was so massive and it, it, it inspired so many other amazing songs after it. That was a um, game changer. Yeah, absolutely. And there's been a, a lot of songs that have done a similar thing. It's, it's almost more interesting seeing a song come out that's not as successful as what comes after it which has copied it if you know what yeah. i mean <laughs> but has just you know something's come out and it's changed the trend and maybe people weren't ready for it quite yet but it's inspired somebody else to do something and that's always going to keep happening and the cycle will keep going around and you know what was popular 20 years ago will suddenly be popular again because it sounds fresh it's it's incredible that that literally one song can have such an impact on the sort of the future of, of pop music. Yeah. Um, And that, that will continue to happen. I'm sure.
0: Um, Yeah. You've, you've been part of shaping the, the UK music scene for the last years. I hope so. I mean, when we started working, you were, I think you were the 87th biggest streaming artist in the world. Yeah. That's which is, which is mad.
1: Yeah. But the thing is like when i First, made easy love. I I was just making a bad copy of other things that I was listening to at the time. Th- things like um, Duke Dumont, I Got You, yeah. was like the big tune of the of the summer at that time, and um, Clean Bandit, uh, Rather Be, and stuff like that. Like those were the songs that were that inspired me to sort of make that, and it coming out slightly different, I guess.
0: Yeah, like nothing, nothing exists or can be created in a void so like like it's part well, of so the- nothing is original
1: no <laughs> because I, I think creativity is is based completely on your own memories of songs and your own you know experiences yeah so when you play a chord sequence that you like it's probably because you've heard it before somewhere or Something like that. It all comes from somewhere, I, I believe. But anyway, that's a d- deep conversation. Maybe for another day. <laughs> yeah, we'll save that. Nothing one. is original. <laughs> <laughs> well, to end this on on a <laughs> more positive notes, <laughs> uh,
0: for for someone listening to this episode and wanting to do what you do, yeah, we've already got like a couple of really good pointers of how you've done it. But do you have mm. any tips?
1: Yeah, if you're starting out uh, as a producer if you've listened to this the whole podcast i think um hopefully there's a there's a couple of um things you can take on board the most important for me was working with everyone i possibly could and and being a yes man and taking all opportunities because you never know which one is going to lead to the thing that ends up bringing you success yeah um and just work hard it really takes time and and patience like my my career from the outside probably looked like it it happened overnight, and it kind of did like it changed very quickly, but there was years and years and years of of hard work and crafting that came in before that yeah um may you know maybe some people might get lucky and start making music and then make a massive hit um but then it's quite hard to back that up when you don't really know what you're doing <laughs> so I think just one of the main things for me that I've learned is is making music that either makes me happy or that I really enjoy and that my heart and soul has gone into in whatever way. Because I think I feel like there's probably quite a lot of pressures of oh, so and so artist is massive and they're doing this, so that's what I should be doing, and that's not necessarily the case um, if it's not something that really excites you or it inspires you is probably not the thing that you should be doing if making you know rock music is the thing that you love then you should focus on that if that's the, your lane that's, yeah man there's I don't there's know an audience for everything
0: all. exactly if you hear a song you can tell pretty quick if the person who made it had their heart in it
1: yeah for sure and on that note Thank you so much. It's so hot in here, man. I had to close <laughs> yeah. my bedroom window because there was cars outside making noise. So I'm oh, really looking <laughs> forward to opening it. <laughs> but dude, this has been really fun. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, man.
0: Thank you also to everyone who's listening. And for those of you who want to dive in and listen to the sounds of Zagala, the there are links in the episode description, both here and on our website. You can find our website at musikproducent.se. It's a tough... URL for those of you who don't speak Swedish So there's a link to that too And to our social media in the description Of this episode Finally, this podcast is made by me Joachim Jarl, or Jarly as you call me Niklas Berglöv and Magnus Lindberg And thank you to all our Lovely Patreons for sponsoring The show
1: Bye. Bye! <laughs> <laughs>
0: I